Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Church podcast. For more information, check out our website at nextlevelchurch.net. Well, good morning to you. I'm excited to, to kick off our new series entitled Lyrically Speaking. It is a fun series where we look at a, a song, modern song, and, and see how it can point us back to God. And uh, I want to ask you and, and, and get you to understand one of the reasons that we do series like this, uh, it's twofold. One, we just enjoy it. We think it's fun and we like having fun at church. But there's a bigger reason that we do this. And the bigger reason is uh, we really believe that Jesus can change lives. And we believe that being a part of a church can make a massive difference in people's lives. And so every so often throughout our church, we try to do series that we think will help engage those who may not have a church home or who haven't been to church in a long time. And music is a universal language, whether you're church or unchurched. People listen to music, and it's really powerful. And so one of the big reasons that we do this series is because we want to give you an easy ask. i got to pronunciate that word, ask. we got to give you an easy ask to uh, invite people to come with you to, to church. And so I want to encourage you just to do that, even if it is as simple as sharing the graphic or sharing this video. They're all on our, our Facebook page. You can share it to the people that, that, that follow you on social media, or even if it's just checking in. Did you know you can check into this service? If you go to Facebook, you can just check in and let people know you're there. And if there's something you discover, or if you want to, it is completely appropriate for you to pull your phones out and record what you're about to see. That's completely appropriate. No one will judge you. In fact, we might judge you if you don't record what you're about to see. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to feature a song, and uh, it's a song by an indie pop band called Vampire Weekend. Now, this may not be your cup of tea, but your kids are going to love it. I'm telling you. Uh, Vampire Weekend has been compared to the Grateful Dead and Paul McCartney of the Beatles. Uh, their song, Harmony Hall, was released in 2019, and it became their biggest hit to date. It went to number five on the charts, and it was even nominated for a Grammy. So without further ado, will you put your hands together for the Next Level Band as they perform Vampire Weekend's Harmony Hall. Pastor Rob, I really appreciate that Back to the Future reference there. That was, that was a good one. Come on, guys. Now we find ourselves in late December I believe that New Year's Eve Will be the perfect time for their great surrender They don't remember Some voice, voices want to sing Singers are nice to the kids But every time a problem ends, another war begins In the stone walls of Harmony Hall, bear witness Anybody with a worried mind can never forgive the sight Of wicked snakes inside a place you thought was dignified But I don't want to live like this, and I don't want to die 
thank the band one more time. Now, I'm just curious, uh, has anyone ever heard of Vampire Weekend Harmony Hall? Anyone? Three of you. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, really cool. Well, uh, Harmony Hall is a, a song that you really have to pay attention to the lyrics because uh, when you, if you were to listen to the song, if you're like, hey, I kind of like that, if you listen to the the original song, it's just kind of a bop, like it's a, a fun song to listen to while you're driving down the road, and it's very singable, and it's very catchy, but when you dive into the lyrics, you see that the, the, the bop of the song, the pace of the song, doesn't match the actual lyrics. What they're talking about is something kind of heavy and something really serious, and so we're going to look at the lyrics and see what in the world they're talking about in this song. The first verse says, we took a vow in summertime. Now we find ourselves in late December. I believe that New Year's Eve will be the perfect time for their great surrender, but they don't remember. Okay, so this very first verse is very vague. We don't know exactly what they're talking about. Someone gave a, a vow. Someone took a vow at some point. And at first, when I first heard this song, I thought maybe it was talking about a couple. You know, you take a wedding vow. 
But then it says that they, uh, it's the perfect time for their surrender. So I don't think that it's talking about a married couple. I think it's talking about someone in some type of authority that took some type of vow. And now some time has passed and it, uh, things aren't going well. And so they want this person to step down to relinquish their, their power. Let's go to the second verse and see what they're talking about. It says, anger wants a voice. Voices want to sing. Singers harmonize till they can't hear anything. I thought that I was free from all that questioning, but every time a problem ends, another one begins. So this is where we really get to understand what's going on in the song. There is a group of people who is angry at someone else. And the group of people, anger, it gathers other people who are angry. And this mob now, this mob mentality, they are so angry, they can't listen to another perspective. They can't listen to another side. They are just angry, and they are singing like a a choir. They are unified in their anger, and they want someone to step down. But the very next part of the song, the, the, the last two lines that we just looked at, I want you to kind of park in your brain and and just allow it to sit in your brain because it's the part of the song that I want to focus on the most. The last two lines said, but every time a problem ends, another one begins. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. Then they get to the chorus and the chorus says, and the stone walls of Harmony Hall bear witness. Anybody with a worried mind can never forgive the sight of wicked snakes inside a place you thought was dignified. I don't want to live like this but I don't want to die. So the lead singer of uh, Vampire Weekend, he went to Columbia University, and the dorm that him and his bandmates stayed in was actually called Harmony Hall. Now, when the song became a hit, he quickly came out and said, this is not about my university. This is not about uh, the, the college that I went to. The idea of Harmony Hall, it represents an echo chamber. And the echo chamber is that uh, when someone else is in authority, when someone else is in power, and we get angry with them, we gather others together who are also angry with us, and we want to yell and scream at that person. And our ideas and our thoughts are, if we get that person in authority out, if we can remove them, and we can put our person in, or we can put ourselves in authority, then all the problems will go away. And the song is really highlighting this cycle of, of power that we go through. And the problem is, is that, and you'll see this in life, is that if if the problem is who is in charge, and you remove them from power, and you put someone else in charge, more problems come with that person. And that's the line of the song that I think is so important. But every time a problem ends, another one begins. So we think that the problem is the person who's in charge. And I think leadership is really important. I think you should have good leaders. But if the problem is just who's in charge, and then we get angry and we get them out, what we'll find is whoever comes in their place is going to have more problems. Essentially, what this song is saying, and what I think we often say when we're not in charge, is we often say this or have this idea, if I was in charge, things would be better. When we are not in charge, when we're not the authority, when we're not the boss, or we're not the political leader, or we're not the pastor, or we're not whatever the position of power is, when things don't go our way, we think, well, if I was in charge, things sure would be better. If I was, or the people that I like, or the people that are like me, if they were in power, things would be so much better. And can I just tell you that um, I think that it is incredibly prideful to complain about other leaders as if you were in charge there would be no problems 
Because can we just be honest? If, if it, let's just say, just stick with me for a second. If, let's say you are a Republican, and you could snap your fingers, and everyone in America would become instantly Republicans, did you know there would still be problems in our country? Or if you are a Democrat, and you could just like Jedi mind trick everyone into voting just like you, and there is no one that could argue, we're all like, yeah, we're all Democrats, we all vote the same way. If that happened, did you know there still would be massive problems in our country? It's this idea, and it's just full of pride of thinking that, no, the problem is them. The problem is other people. If I was in charge, and I've thought about this often, like I remember when I was not the lead pastor, and I wasn't in charge of church, it just was easy to think, man, you know what the problems are? It's just that guy. If we could just fix him, if one day, if I'm in charge, we're not going to have these issues. And the crazy thing is, is I, I I never dreamed that I would be a lead pastor But one day God opened the door for me to plant a church. And what I found is where one problem ends, another one begins. I'm now the lead pastor and there's problems everywhere. And and, and it's this idea, it's this prideful idea that if I was in charge, things would be so much better. Because I think that 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 idea is really full of pride, I would encourage and challenge you to not complain about other people who are in positions of power or authority. I see this often in the church world, and I think it is full, I really do think it is full of pride. In the church circles, there are so often pastors will get up, and they will rail against another church. You know what's wrong with our country? What's wrong with our country are these churches that aren't preaching hellfire and brimstone. That's what's wrong with our country. I was in a, a class in seminary one time, and the professor said that what is wrong with our country today, said what's wrong with teenagers today The problem with teenagers, this was his phrase, the problem with teenagers is we took the hymns out of the church. Okay, now I don't like to be disruptive, I don't like to to cause problems, I don't like to like push back, I want to be a peacemaker, but when he said that, I just raised my hand, and I said, "Um, can you clarify for me, so you're saying that the problem with teenagers is that there's no hymns in the church? And he said, yes. The problem with teenagers today is that we took the hymns out of church, and now we sing choruses on the screen. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, so back when everyone sang hymns, teenagers didn't sin? Like, back when there were hymns, like, teenagers weren't tempted? Like, no one was having premarital sex? No one was was struggling with, with, with anything? Like, because of the hymns, it was this perfect utopian world. But now the world has fallen. Not when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. The world fell when we took the hymns out of the church. Do you see? It, it feels so silly when you say that. But that is what pride does. Pride blinds us to our own issues. And pride causes us to say, I'm not the problem. I'm not the issue. You know what the issue is? It's them. And if they would do things like me, if they would vote like me, if they would act like me, if they would rule in authority like I would, then all these problems would go away. The song really focuses on and highlights the cycle of power. And there's a cycle of power that we see uh, in, in all circles of wherever there is power or influence. The cycle of power is leadership The leadership that is in power has some issues, right? Because no leader is perfect. And if you are trying to solve some problems, that means you're ignoring other problems. So there's leadership in power. They have issues. Those impacted directly by those issues get angry. So those who didn't vote for the person or those who aren't in charge, they think, I'm not happy because of that leader. 
And then their anger gathers other people that agree with them. They get into an echo chamber, a harmony hall, where they're all just listening to one another. And they all agree. And they're not listening to another perspective. And they all say, yes, we're unhappy because of that person in power or authority. Those who are angry align together to get the leader out of power. Now a new leader takes over power, but that new leader has issues. And then the cycle just starts over again. And we see this over and over again. In medieval times, it was with kings, that there was a king who people got unhappy with, and they would fight against, and they would take him out, assassinate him or kill him, and then they would get a new ruler in. And guess what? There's more problems. The new king brings new problems. In America, thankfully, we're not killing our leaders. We vote them out of office. But if you watch people on social media, it often is everything wrong with our country is because of who is in the political office. If we could just get them out, then there would be no problems. And we get a new president in office. And guess what? There's more problems. Every time a problem ends, another one begins. This is um, the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world is to fight against power, especially if we don't agree with it or we don't like it. But what we find is that when you fight against power and you put someone else new in power, there's still issues. There's still problems. Jesus came along over 2,000 years ago, and he gives a radically different way to lead. It is very different than the cycle of power. It is something that is challenging, and it is something that I think is so applicable to us today. And I want to show you what Jesus said when it comes to power and especially to those in, in, in some type of authority position. If you are here today, and especially if you are not the boss, if you are not the leader, if you have issues with, with people that are in authority of you, or even in your relationships, Jesus is going to give us the way that if you want to be in charge, this is the best way to do it. And I want to show you what he says, but at Next Level, we honor the text. The way that we do that is by standing to our feet, reading it nice and loud. So I want to invite you to stand up and read with us Matthew 20. 25 through 26, and at the reference, 20, 25 through 26, you'll see two dots between the 20 and the 25, and we like to have a little bit of fun. We just pump our fists at those dots, and we say dot, dot, and it's just a fun little way for us to, like, punch the devil in the nose. So we're just like, punch, punch, and then we can go on with uh, the rest of our, our day. So if you read it with me nice and loud, it says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Matthew 20, dot, dot, 25 through 26. Now that we've read the text, let's go to God in prayer. Will you pray with me just silently in your hearts and in your minds? God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today. And God, when you speak, you don't tell us what we want to hear. You tell us what we need to hear. So we ask that you help us to listen to you. And God, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. So as we go through these verses, I want you to keep in mind the cycle of power and how everyone fights against power. It's just a cycle that repeats itself. And I want you to think about how radically different Jesus' teaching on authority and power is. Matthew 20, verses 20 through 21 says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons. Zebedee is just a fun word to say. Can you guys humor me and just say it out loud? One, two, three, Zebedee. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, 
Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Okay, so there are two sons. Zebedee is their dad. We don't know a lot about Zebedee. We can conclude that Zebedee must have been someone that had some influence, some power, some authority, because he is mentioned often in the New Testament when it's talking about his family members. Jesus had 12 disciples, and none of the other disciples do we hear about who their dad is. But James and John, these two, we often hear about Zebedee. Zebedee wasn't one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was the father of two of Jesus' disciples. And Zebedee's wife, we don't even get her name. Zebedee's wife comes to Jesus and says, hey, my two sons who are followers of yours, who are disciples of yours, when your kingdom comes on this earth, can they sit on the right and on the left of you? Now, this is implying that Jesus was going to have a earthly reign that was going to be like a king. In fact, a lot of the people that were attracted to Jesus thought that he was going to be like King David in the Old Testament, that he was going to rule and reign, and that they were going to take out the enemy, the Romans, who was the government. And a lot of people that followed Jesus were looking for Jesus to wipe out the Romans, to lead a military, to lead an army. And James and John are two guys, and their mom says, hey, listen, when you're the king, can my son sit to the right and to the left of you? Now, in order for us to really get a little bit of context of who James and John are and why their mom would even ask this, I want to look at a few more verses so that we can really get the context and the full weight of who James and John are. In another verse, in Mark 3, 13 through 17, we see this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry where he is picking his disciples. And let's pick up there. It says, Jesus went on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and they might send, send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. All right, so this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He is handpicking his 12 disciples. Something that is just a little interesting is Jesus often gives people nicknames. And so Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, Simon grew up being Peter, or si Simon grew up with the name Simon. Jesus says, boom, I'm switching it. You're now Peter. But watch what happens next. James, son of Zebedee, there Zebedee is again, mentioning who his dad is, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boagnerds, which means sons of thunder. Now, so Jesus is often giving nicknames. He's often switching up names. And can I just tell you that I grew up in the church, and I've read through the New Testament multiple times. I even have a Master's of Divinity where I had to read through the New Testament as a part of my classes. I've studied the Bible a whole lot, but it was not until two years ago when I was at Nag Nag's Head, and I woke up in the morning to do my Bible devotional, my Bible study, and in the Bible study, I read this verse, and it was the first time in my life that I saw that Jesus gave James and John the nickname Boanerds. Like, that's hilarious to me. Like, I don't want that nickname. Like, I feel like you're a loser if you're walking around with Boanerds. Boanerds, to me, it sounds like, like a disease. Like, like, doctor, I'm not feeling very good. And it's like, yeah, your Boanerds are inflamed. Oh, no, not my Boanerds. Like, it is a horrible-sounding nickname. But thankfully, the author of this verse knew that Sometime in the future, a white pastor was going to be making fun of the nickname Boanerds, and so he defines what Boanerds means. Boanerds means sons of thunder. Now that's a nickname. 
Like, that sounds like a, a WWE wrestling tag team. Like, and now, from Galilee, weighing 420 pounds of combined weight, the Sons of Thunder, James and John. Like, this sounds like a nickname. This sounds, like, incredibly powerful. And so this gives us a little bit of insight, though. Why would Jesus name two guys Sons of Thunder? Most likely, it's not because they were meek. It's not because they were mild. It's not because they were, they were like just peaceful, like, hey, let's just get along. Like, you don't name kumbaya-type people sons of thunder. And we actually have an example of this. Near the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus walks into an area, and there are some people who don't greet him. They don't give him the attention that he deserves. And James and John lean over to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do you want us to rain down fire from heaven and nuke these people? And Jesus is like, What? Like, you've been following me for three years. Why do you think that's the conclusion? Have we ever nuked people before? Like, is that what we do? Like, we don't agree with you. We don't like how you're treating us. Boom, you're dead. Like, is that the way that we handle things? But that gives you a little bit of insight into James and John's personality. They were thunderous. They may have had a temper to them. But one of the reasons that they were attracted and their family was attracted to Jesus is because they thought at some point there was going to be a battle and that Jesus was going to lead them to fight the Romans and that they were going to overtake the Romans and Jesus was going to reign as an earthly king. And so now Jesus's, um, G- or their mom, James and John's mom, comes to them and says, hey, you keep talking about this thing, it, it, it's starting to wrap up. You keep talking about how things are coming to culmination. I just Now that we're headed to Jerusalem and we're headed to this final thing, can my sons sit next to you on the throne. And she's thinking like, hey, these are two, like wouldn't you want the sons of thunder sitting next to you if you were a king? If you were reigning and ruling and you just wiped out the Roman Empire, wouldn't you want some guys that could stand up and fight for you? So in her mind, this makes a lot of sense. But look how Jesus responds to uh, her request. Matthew 20, verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink. And so Jesus doesn't like get offended with them. He understands that like they're just not getting it. Even though Jesus kept talking about I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't understand what he was saying because they just wanted to be a part of the power. They wanted to be a part of his earthly reign. And so Jesus says, hey, I hear what you're saying, but can you drink of the cup that I'm going to drink from? Now, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. So look how they reply in Matthew 20, verses 24 through 28. This is when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, hey, can you guys drink from the cup that I'm going to drink of? And James and John are like, yeah, of course we can. And when the other disciples hear of this, they are indignant. They are angry. And anger wants a voice. And voices want to sing. And singers harmonize because they can't hear anything. 
The rest of the ten are together, and they're like, yeah, these guys, these punks, why would they ask this question? Let's get them. We should fight against them. We should argue with them. And Jesus says, okay, let's just slow your roll. Let me just teach you something. Let me use this as a teachable moment. And Jesus says, whoever wants to become great in the kingdom of God must be a servant. When you think about the cycle of power, do you see how radically different that is? Because the cycle of power is always, I'm not happy because they're in charge. Let's get a group of people to get them out of power. And then once we're in power, we'll be happy and all the problems will go away. And Jesus just says, that's not going to work for my kingdom. If you want to become great in the kingdom of God, it doesn't come from overthrowing power. It doesn't come from fighting against power. It doesn't come from complaining against power. If you want to become great in the kingdom of God, you must become a servant. I love what what one author of Pursuing Justice says. He says, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It beckons us to gamble all, to trust radically, to come and die so that we might live, to give our lives away. Giving life away is a paradox. It's losing so we can win. It's giving so we can receive. It's risking for security. It's faith. The kingdom of God means living in that tension. The kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus brought to us is an upside down kingdom. It's a kingdom that doesn't make sense. Because you know what makes sense to us is a cycle of power. I'm not happy because I'm not in charge. If I become in charge, then I will become happy. And Jesus comes along and says, it's not true because leadership is hard. And if you think the answer is just getting people that vote like you and look like you in a power of authority, guess what? That's not going to fix problems because there's more problems are going to come along. If you really want to serve like me, if you really want to radically change the world, it doesn't come with might. It doesn't come with overthrowing power. It comes by serving. That is a radical, radical way to lead. But if you're not happy with your job, the answer is not to complain about your boss. The answer is to try to figure out a way to serve. And if you're not happy with your family dynamics, The answer is not to fight and to to try to get your way. The answer is to learn to serve. And the answer for our country in America is not to rally up people that vote like us and look like us and destroy the other side. The answer for our country in America is to serve. That is a radical way to lead. And did you know that as a Christian, you don't have to be in charge to start practicing this leadership model? You don't have to wait until you're the boss or until you're in charge or until you have a family. You can actually start this right now. I think almost every single kid at some point in their family has said to their parents, I can't wait to grow up because when I grow up, I won't have to follow any of these rules. They don't know. (laughs) They don't really understand. But already as a kid, that cycle of power, it's hardwired in them. I'm not happy as a kid because you, the parent, are making me do something that I don't want to do. One day when I'm in charge, things will be better. Did you know if you're a kid, you don't have to wait to become a parent to serve like Jesus? You can start right now. You don't have to wait until you have a title. You don't have to wait until you have the paycheck that that, that comes with leadership. You don't have to wait to be in political authority. You don't have to wait for a status to come along. You can become a leader right now, no matter where you're at, if you follow Jesus' leadership model. And Jesus' leadership model is to serve. If you want to become great, learn to serve other people. I like what um, Zig Ziglar said. Um, He's a motivational, inspiring 
um, public speaker, and uh, he's passed away, but he has so many great quotes. And Zig Ziglar said this, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. There's a cycle of power that we think that I'll get what I want when I fight for it, and I'll get what I want when I push other people away, and when I step on other people, and when I fight against other people, then I'll get what I want. But you know what? You know how we really get what we want? It's not with fighting. It's not with trying to overthrow people. It's with learning to serve. And when you serve others, you end up getting everything that you ultimately want. And you don't have to fight about it. You don't have to argue. You don't have to complain. Can I just tell you, I really do not love politics, but can I tell you that if there was a politician who ever came out and just said, you know what, we got a lot of problems. And the problems are not the other side. It's not the other people that voted. There's just real problems, and we're doing our best to solve them. And here's what I think the answer to solve these problems is. I think the answer is that we work together, and I want to do that by serving you. I'm not going to take a paycheck. I'm going to actually give it away because I want to, like, if, if a politician said that, I don't care what political party they are on, I'd be like, you got my vote. Like, that's amazing that you are called to serve. Now, I know realistically you got to pay the bills, and so probably a politician isn't going to do that, but I love that idea. I love the idea of coming up and saying, like, I'm not ruling in power and authority because I want something. I am following the way of Jesus. Can I tell you how Jesus served? On the very last night, on the very last night of Jesus' life, he gathered his disciples together, and he said, I'm not going to be with you very long, and they still are hung up on, they still think that he's about to reign and rule like an earthly king. And he says, because this is my last night with you, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says, no, 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 you can't wash my feet. Because that's not what a king does. The king doesn't ever, like, servants wash feet. I won't let you wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, you've got to follow my example. And I'm not coming to demand authority. I'm not coming to demand will do what I want them to do. I am coming to serve. Can you just think about it for a second? The greatest leader ever to live washed his followers' feet. And you want to know who was in that 12 that he washed their feet? It was a guy by the name of Judas, who in just a few moments was going to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew he was going to betray him. Jesus even calls it out moments after he washes his feet. But Jesus models that the way to win over the other side is not with power, it's not with might, it's not with nuking them with fire from heaven. The way to win people over is to serve. So if there's someone in your life that you don't like, if there's someone that you want to push back against, if there's someone that you say, I don't like the way that they do things, that's okay. It's all right. There are bad leaders out there. There are really bad leaders out there. And thankfully, we can vote, we can use our voice. But can I just encourage you greatly to get rid of the pride that says that they are 100% the problem? Because if they get out of power, more problems are going to come. And for you as a follower of Christ, your role is to learn to serve. And you don't have to wait to be in charge to do that. You can start serving right now. We pray with me? God, we come before you and we just acknowledge that this is not easy. This is not talked about on our political news stations. This is not given to us growing up. This is not something that is even easy to swallow, that 
your way is a radically upside down kingdom type way to where we don't fight for what we want. We serve. And we even serve those that we disagree with and we serve those that we don't get along with. And God, the only reason we can do that is because you served us first. So we thank you for what you've done. And we ask that you would help us to follow in your example. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed and learned from today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can check out our website, nextlevelchurch.net, or find us on Facebook or Twitter.